Well, welcome back, brethren, to Wednesday night Bible study, where we study the scriptures line upon line. We are now up to Isaiah chapter 31 and 32. And I should say, uh, welcome back uh, from the Feast of Tabernacles. Hopefully you had a very enjoyable, very uh, fulfilling, spiritually fulfilling uh, feast. I, I did hear that there is some sickness uh, going around, so we do need to be mindful of our brethren who are in need of prayers for healing and recovery. But certainly I hope that everybody did uh, receive spiritual rejuvenation and not just from the teaching, but also from the fellowship. Well, and also during the feast, I, I hope you were able to join us for our study on Micah. Micah has uh, seven chapters and we were able to cover the entire book, uh, praise God, during the feast. If you were not able to join us for that study, I would hope that you would access it in the archives. So just look for the study on the book of Micah. It's called The Gospel According to Micah and just demonstrates the parallels between Micah's prophecy and ministry and that of Isaiah. In fact, both Micah uh, and Isaiah were prophets to Judah primarily. And at the same, and they were contemporaries. And at the same time, Hosea and Amos were prophets to Ephraim or the Northern tribes. And they were contemporary as well. And so I'm thinking as we wrap up Isaiah and, and God willing, we'll go into the Psalms. But I think the next two books I would like to cover, I think right now, as I'm feeling inspired, would be Amos and Hosea, because we've spent so much time trying to be accurate with the scripture and see what it says specifically, or how the prophecies are specifically speaking of Judah. Uh, Micah speaks a bit about Samaria, but specifically it's Judah. Even Isaiah speaks a bit about the north, Ephraim. But Amos and Hosea speak specifically of the north. And I think to better understand in the Western world and those of us who are living under the uh, blessings of the Israelite nations, it, I think it would be beneficial for us to study Hosea and Amos. Unless you are thinking differently, maybe you could go ahead and uh, either type in the chat or send me an email and uh, let me know uh, your thoughts. Let's open with a word of prayer and then we can get into the study for tonight, which is Isaiah 31 and 32. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come before you, Lord, with hearts of joy and gratitude, but also, Father, there's, there is some heaviness. Uh, we have heard of uh, sickness, serious illness in the body, and so we just want to appeal to you, Lord God Almighty. We uh, know that you uh, are watching over us, and we know of your firsthand of your loving kindness and mercy. We were thanking you so much for your intervention with our sister Lisa, who truly was on her deathbed. And you intervened, Father, and you've blessed her, and she is, she's back. Uh, and we just thank you so much, Lord God Almighty, for your mercy. Pray you'll continue to be with her and her devoted husband, uh, our brother Murray, that you'll bless them, bless their family, Father, and we know that Lisa has a heart for you and a heart to work for you, Lord, and the laborers are few, and we, we, we need her special, unique contribution to the body. So we thank you for this, Father. We, as we say, Father, as you've taught us, as Christ taught us, the laborers are few. And so we're appealing to you with your loving mercy to intervene, Father, on those who, uh, whose lives are troubled and at risk, we pray, God, for your mercy 
and in that mercy, that in, in that healing, our brethren would be compelled to serve you with all of their heart in the final chapters of, of man's uh, history. Father, we are in a very dark time, as you know, and as a result, it's very hard for us to see what is going to happen next. We see through a glass darkly, we are peering into the prophecies, trying to understand, and we appealing to you, Father, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet, that you would give us greater understanding and deeper faith and conviction. You see clearly, Father, we see vaguely. Help us also in this as we develop our understanding and our faith, that we would walk by faith and not by sight, and that we would learn to lean wholly upon you. Help us, Father, because the world around us is unraveling. It's so chaotic and unstable. We pray through your word that you would grant us stability, that you would establish us in your truth. Thank you so much for this uh, tremendous blessing, Father. What a, what a great honor it is to understand your word, to grow in understanding of your word, and to be filled with your Holy Spirit. It's a great honor and a privilege, Father. We pray for more, and we pray that we would be useful to you and to Christ. We thank you, Lord, and we ask all of this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Amen. So let us continue then in our study of Isaiah. Isaiah, uh, the first Isaiah has 39 chapters. So in a few weeks, God willing, we should finish the entire book, all 66 chapters of the prophet Isaiah. And certainly for me, I hope for you, it has been extremely beneficial to go through this book line by line to see very familiar verses, but to see them in context. And to also see verses that perhaps we may have read, but just didn't remember and didn't think of them. And to come across these verses and understand what they mean. So let us uh, continue and, and God willing, within the next month or so, uh, we may finish this book and, and, and go return to our study of Psalms. And then as I say, I'm thinking uh, Amos and Hosea would be a good uh, complement to the understanding that we've gained from Isaiah and from Micah and from the Psalms as well. So we are now uh, Isaiah 31 and 32. I just wanted to pick up uh, just one verse, the introductory verse to chapter 30, which we covered a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I should apologize as well. I believe the, there were some brethren last week that were expecting a study. And I actually took last week off and some uh, one of the brethren actually wrote me worried uh, what happened. Uh, I just took the night off. I did the uh, eight, uh, seven, I guess it was eight studies, actually, including a summary study uh, of Micah during the feast. And I just thought, uh, <laughs> got to get back to work. So after the feast, uh, I had quite a bit of workload to catch up on. And I just took the Wednesday evening off. So I apologize to those of you. I think maybe the, um, the site indicated that there would be a study. So certainly apologize to have you there expecting the study. And I wasn't there. Uh, but here we are. So thank you for, for coming back and, and following along with these studies. So Isaiah 30, just to remember a couple of weeks back, it began with a curse. Woe to the rebellious children. And God is speaking of his own covenant people, uh, the tribe of Judah. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit that they may add sin to sin, 
this is the state of God's people, and this curse is upon them. And then he, he went on to elaborate, and but the verse, the, the chapter, was not all doom and gloom. It, it is the good news uh, that, that Isaiah, it's the gospel truth that Isaiah is bringing in. The gospel truth is God is a covenant-keeping God. And although his people, his covenant people, have betrayed him, he will not betray his word. He will not betray his promise. He will not betray his covenant. So this is what we're seeing over and over and over again, that these people are extreme in their sinfulness. But God is extreme in his faithfulness. That, that, that's it. And that's, you know, in, in the study of Micah, seven chapters in, in seven days, that, that's just really crystal clear. And as I said, uh, Micah is a mini Isaiah. And it just becomes really clear how wicked his people are and how faithful God is. So chapter 30, woe to, this, to the rebellious children. Chapter 31, woe to them, verse 1, that go down to Egypt for help. So Egypt is the king of the south. Egypt is south. Assyria is north. Assyria is threatening Judah. Judah is panicking. And their solution to the threat of Assyria is to go south and to go to Egypt. And Pharaoh and his mighty chariots and army, uh, his power, that's where they think they'll get their help. So if Judah and Egypt work together, uh, they have a good chance, they believe, of overcoming Assyria. Assyria being this tremendous power on the earth at the time. God says, woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots. So today... <clears throat> Those chariots would represent the, the military might. So this little tribe of Judah in the Middle East, surrounded by hateful enemies, murderous enemies, pathologically murderous enemies, uh, she might look to America and trust in the American military power. And God says, you should trust in me. Don't, don't trust in chariots. Don't trust in military war, well, weaponry. They stay on ho and horses at this time, being a very... Um, powerful innovation in warfare that if people have been fighting on foot and we figure out how to train horses for for warfare this is a tremendous innovation so they stay on they're, they're waiting on horses they're 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 seeing horses as the, as their salvation and they trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong but they look not unto the holy one of israel Neither seek Jehovah. The, the Jehovah, God saves. They don't seek him. God says, woe to them. Woe to them for this. That their first instinct is to run to man. And you see today, it's kind of a, a parallel, and pardon me for the parallel, but in a parallel situation, you would look today in the Middle East, in Israel, this pandemic, global pandemic, and Israel, as a nation, has gone wholeheartedly into this vaccination program. It's not like they say to their citizens, we'll make it available. No, they want to vaccinate the whole population. And so they've done this in order to, quote unquote, save their people from the pandemic. And what is the result of that? Well, Israel now has the most hospitalizations, and, and I believe deaths now from this pandemic 
even though they are the most immunized, quote unquote, immunized or vaccinated, quote unquote. Now, to the point where they've had to re rely on, but they see these first and second dose of the Pfizer vaccine wearing off. They've had to go to a third booster, a third dose. That is now wearing off. They're now going to a fourth dose. Well, this clearly shows no reliance on God. There's no, hey, Judah, the tribe of Judah on the earth, the covenant people could, could have this opportunity to show the world that they put God first, first and foremost. That's not to say that they wouldn't have medical intervention. That's not to say that they wouldn't uh, pursue uh, some sort of vaccination program. But to not mention God at all, the people of Judah, to not mention him at all, and to just roll out this vaccination program wholeheartedly for everybody, regardless of your unique physiology, everybody must have this vaccine. I think the only people that have resisted it are the ultra-Orthodox Jews that are there. But everybody else, it's the most, in fact, the medical community has, has openly said that Israel is a, is a laboratory. It's a great experiment. We've never done this before. And this is now a great population for us to observe as the most vaccinated population. So just as an example of the people of the covenant who don't even think of God, God is not their first resort. They turn to man. And this is no, no, no difference than what, what is going on here uh, anciently with Israel or with the, the tribe of Judah, that when they face what looks like certain death, they don't turn to God. They turn to man. And God says, woe unto them. They're cursed because of this. He says, yet he also is wise and will bring evil and will not call back his words. What does this mean? So they have turned to man. They've turned to the wisdom of man. So if you look at these chariots, if you look at the skill of these horsemen, uh, if, you, if you look at the horses themselves, this is brilliant, the majesty of man. Who, who cannot help but admire uh, this, this, this prowess? In a way, God is saying, well, you know what? I have a little bit of wisdom as well. I'm not bad. You know, as your God, as your creator, I have some skill and ability as well. So yeah, God is also wise and will bring, and it doesn't, evil doesn't mean satanic evil. Here, Ra, what means, the, the Hebrew, it means calamity. He will bring calamity. So again, you know, this pandemic, this disease, which is from, from Wuhan, uh, it's a serious disease, and the, and the variants that are growing are very serious. And people should consult with their physician. And in the cases where it makes sense for them to have this vaccine, they should have the vaccine. But it is experimental. And, and to roll it out worldwide and force and mandate that everybody must have this experimental vaccine, which people are making billions, perhaps trillions of dollars of, off, uh, or let's say hundreds of billions of dollars, that's a little bit strange. So for this nation of Israel, the tribe of Judah, to just run to this and enforce it on their population, God is saying, well, I have a little bit of wisdom too. I created the immune system and I'm going to bring calamity. And now they're facing the most hospitalizations, I think also the most deaths. Who knows what else will happen to them when another pathogen hits them and they've compromised their immune systems. Who knows? But regardless, God says, when you don't trust me, 
when you don't turn, when I'm, when I'm in covenant with you, and this is not the Gentile nations, the Gentile nations will do what they have to do. This is the covenant people, the people of covenant, that God says, you, you reject me, you don't even think of me, you turn to man. I also have a bit of wisdom, but I'm going to now use my wisdom to bring calamity upon you. This is what the verse means. And I will not call back my, I've, I've cursed you and, and I, will not, I will not relent. But I will arise against the house of the evildoers. So they are destroyed. I, I'm, I'm, this, this, these people are, God says these people are evil. The, this is a house of evildoers and I'm going to act against them. And not just them, I'm also going to act against the help of them that work iniquity. So them that work iniquity are the Jews. The help of them that work iniquity are the Egyptians. So the house of evildoers are the Jews. Them that work iniquity are the Jews. And the help of them that work iniquity, the help of the house of the evildoers, these are the Egyptians. God says, I'm going to work evil against them all. Verse 3. Now, the Egyptians are men and not God. So just to remind you, so when, when God says, you know, I have a bit of wisdom. Now he's reminding them, these people that you're running to, these scientists or these military men, that because of their glory, you're, you're putting your whole trust in them. They're men. They're not God. They may want to present themselves on a godlike status, but they're not God. And their horses are flesh. As glorious as these horses are, these stallions, you see them all, you know, dressed and ready for battle and well-trained, they're flesh, they're nephesh, and not spirit. When the Lord, Jehovah, shall stretch out his hand, both he that helps shall fall, and he that is helped shall fall down. So he that helps is the Egyptian, he that's helped is the, Jew, the Jews. God says, look, when I have had enough, and when I, when I act, I'm going to destroy both. And they shall fail together. This is the pronouncement from God. He, he is personally affronted that his covenant people run to man and not to him. And, you know, it, it's worth pausing and asking ourselves as Christians, who see what the tribe of uh, Judah is doing, the nation of Israel. But what about us as Christians? And again, I'm not saying don't get the vaccine, get the vaccine. That's between you and your physician. But what I am saying is, what is our disposition? Is it that, you know, I'm watching CNN and they're causing me to panic. I'm seeing this death toll constantly flashing in front of me. It's arising, although cases have been redefined, they're, they're skyrocketing. I'm just constantly hearing death and destruction in this. Uh, just I'm in a constant state of terror. And what's my first reaction? Is it to turn to God and say, God, you know all. My life is in your hands. I hope I'm useful to you and you'll preserve my life. But if it's not useful to you, I'm in your hands. And I hope that I've lived a life that you will remember me on the day of my death and that I've done some good. And I'm ready to die when you're ready for me to go. Or do we absolutely panic like a pagan? Do we have pagan panic the moment we hear that we might die? We panic like a pagan and we run to men, 
say, do anything, inject me with it. I have no clue what's there. Just go ahead. I'm not doing any research. I just trust you so much because I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't know God truly. And I haven't lived for God. And I'm terrified of dying. If that's our state, that is a sorry state. That's very different from the Christian who is calm and faithful and praying to God and depending on God. And, and may, for whatever reason, have certain condition that, hey, I, if I were to get sick with this uh, virus, it's not just that it would kill me. It could be debilitating and devastating for me and my family. For this reason, I'm going to consult, get some wisdom here, get some counsel. And I'm going to counsel with not just the doctor, but maybe my minister as well and others and do my research. And then I'm going to come to a calm conclusion, not a panic, pain panic, but a calm conclusion that I say, you know what? I've weighed everything. Everything has risk. Every medication has side effects. I'm not listening to people who say this is just, it's just beautiful. This is, this is greater than God. God gave you an immune system, but we are wiser than God. I'm not listening to that. I know there are risks and I've weighed everything and I've prayed and I've decided I should, I should be vaccinated or I've decided, no, I don't want that uh, in my body. That's a personal choice that each Christian must make. But what is our starting point? Is it pagan panic and depending on men? If it is, according to scripture, why would we be any different? We're cursed. So I think we need to be, everybody needs to calm down and, and have, have our head in scripture and our heart in the Lord and not, not running, running whole, wholesale with this godless society. It's a godless society and we can't be running with them in panic. That, that, that panic is a, a way of controlling the population. And we made in the image of God and the likeness of God and have given ourselves to Christ. Should we panic with the, with the pagan population? It, it's, it's shameful. And God, you can see that reading between the lines here, you can, you can see that God is insulted and God is offended by this behavior. So if we have engaged in this behavior, let's repent. And, and worse, if we are trying to force other Christians to, to behave in a godless manner. Instead of saying, hey, fast, pray, turn to God. I'm sure he'll guide you. We're like, get to the, get the vaccination. Come on, let's not, let's not go along with this. Let's, let's, let's be faithful. Verse 4. So verse 3, God will destroy his faithless people. And he'll also destroy the people they turn to. That they thought would help them. That's what that, that's the judgment from God. For thus has the Lord spoken unto me. This is what the Lord told Isaiah. Like as the lion and the young lion roaring on its prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. What does this mean? So a lion. When it sets its mind to hunt and it sees the prey and it's going after the prey, you could have all these shepherds who are coming together to try to scare off the lion. And the lion is saying, I'm sorry, I'm not impressed. I'm hungry and I'm taking down that prey and I might take you down with it. So God is saying, this is what I'm like. The same way you see how a lion 
behaves when it has set its mind on taking down prey and nothing can defend it from the lion, that's what you can expect from me. But he now explains what his objective is, despite the fact that he's going to destroy his covenant people and the Egyptians with them. He says this, So shall Yehovah Zavot, the Lord of hosts, he's a, he's a Lord of armies, he's, he's a military man, he's a military leader, probably a better way for me to say it. he was a man, but now, now he is returned to his God state, but he's a military leader. In the Old Testament, in the Torah, he says he's a man of war. Yeah, God is a man of war. He's the Lord of hosts. He commands armies. And, he's, and we have to be clear about this. He is returning as, as the commander of an, a mighty army or armies. This is how the Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof. So not only does he have to fight against the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the king of the south, the king of the north, all the nations, he even has to fight against his own people in order to restore Jerusalem and specifically Mount Zion. So he's, he, ha he has a purpose. In, in um, Isaiah 9, he says, the Lord of hosts, the, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall accomplish this. So the Lord of hosts, God, has a zeal. Do we know what that zeal is? And are we in alignment with his zeal? Or do we have another agenda that we're, we're, our, our priorities are not aligned with God's? God's priority, that the highest thing on his mind is the restoration of Zion, the establishment of his kingdom from Zion. That's what's on God's mind. And, and that's what he's zealous about. And, and he cannot wait to, to, to carry this out and pull this off. And, and he's recruiting others to join him in his agenda. Is our agenda his agenda? Or are we distracted by other things and other agendas? So this is what he's going to do. And he says, uh, was it uh, in Micah? I believe it was in Micah we were studying, yes, maybe chapter 2, where he says, Of late, my people have risen up as an enemy against me. God, God says, my, my people, they've, they've risen up as an enemy against me. Okay, when I come down like a lion after its prey, I am taking down all my enemies. I'm, I'm going to crush all my enemies, including my own people. But there will be a faithful remnant, and I will, I will start from there. I will establish my kingdom, beginning with the faithful remnant, which hopefully will grow as a result of all of the terror and all of the tragedy and the tribulation, that there will be greater repentance. All of the death, there will be greater repentance. In terms of this lion roaring on its prey, who is this lion? Well, Revelation 5 tells us, Revelation 5 and verse 5, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, don't worry. John, John wept uncontrollably when he saw that nobody could open the seven seals to release the will of God, that the, the, everything is lost if the will of God cannot be released. And he wept uncontrollably. And one of the elders said unto him, Weep not, behold, the lion 
of the tribe of Judah. He's of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and therefore able to fulfill the Davidic covenant. He has prevailed to open the book. And, and that means he is qualified to carry out all of the judgments in the book, including judgments on his own people, and to loose the seven seals thereof. Amos says in 3.8, the lion has roared. Who is this lion? It's the lion of Judah. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? When, the, when this lion roars, who dares not to fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? So Amos is saying, I have to prophesy. God has spoken. And I'm not going to let men frighten me and cause me to back down. He's, he's spoken. Who can but prophesy? Uh, the Apostle Paul says, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. And here Amos says, The lion has roared. Fear for your life. This roaring lion is about to return. Isaiah says he's coming down from heaven, or God says himself from heaven. He's coming down from heaven to take down the prey. And then he says this in verse 5. So first he um, uses the lion as his analogy, but then he says, as the birds flying. In this way, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. So what is the so first the analogy is the lion we get that what does he mean by the birds flying well if you see the rotation to to what they do that they're free. There, there's no, there's no roads. There's no railroad tracks. Uh, they're just free to just go and come and turn and pivot at will. And God says, "This is me." As a, as birds flying, so will the Lord's. So will the Lord of Hosts defend Jerusalem. That he, can, when he's ready, he can turn on a dime, come back, and he's he's left Jerusalem, but when he's ready, he can pivot and come back and defend Jerusalem which we've read many times in Zechariah 12. Defending also, he will deliver it. So it's not just to you know, preserve it. He wants to completely remove her enemies. He will deliver her. And passing over, he will preserve it. So Jerusalem will be established. The will of Gentile nations notwithstanding. The whole agenda today, what's developing is this anti-Jerusalem agenda. Pro-Babylon, anti-Jerusalem. That's where the world is going. And all of the agendas, all of the movements, all of the, the um, uh, let's say, the, the momentum is toward Babylon and against Jerusalem. That's why we should be very, very careful. Whenever the whole world agrees on something, we better say, uh-oh, <laughs> I need to take a closer look at If the whole world is agreeing on this at this time, when Satan is just intensifying his activity on the earth and demons are coming out of every hole, if the whole world agrees on this, and when they're under the influence of demonic activity, I need to take a closer look. Pardon me if I'm a little bit skeptical 
and pardon me if I don't run along with your social justice movement, and pardon me if I prefer to rely on God, because we're in a time when the whole world is, is just growing in its hatred of Jerusalem and the Jerusalem agenda, God's agenda, and growing in its love and addiction and obsession with Babylon. So we need to be careful. And unfortunately, you know, we saw how many of our brethren run after these social justice movements like Black Lives Matter and want to defend it and put God's word around it. What a shame. What a shame. God says, you run after that. I'm taking that down and you down with it. We need to repent. He says then, as birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it. And passing over, he will preserve it. Turn you unto him whom the children of Israel, or from whom the children of Israel, have deeply revolted. This revolted means they've completely rebelled against him. But then it's modified to say this rebellion is deep. God is so deeply offended. They have deeply rebelled against him. But you don't do that. Instead, do the opposite. Turn to him. They've turned away from him deeply in a very deep, profound rebellion. But we shouldn't do that. Let's turn to him. So again, when the whole world is going in one direction in this demonic time, let's, let's push pause and say, let, let's look into this. Oh, how, how does this align with the Jerusalem agenda? Or is this aligning with the Babylonian Athens agenda? Turn you unto him. Turn to him. From whom the children of Israel deeply revolted. For in that day, every man shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold. So we can read this, anciently speaking, or thinking. And yes, they had physical idols that were made of silver and physical idols that were made of gold. And they worshipped these idols like the pagan nations around them. In a modern context, I think what we see is silver and gold represents wealth. It represents wealth. And with this wealth, we can create idols. With this wealth, we can promote human beings, celebrities, scientists so-called, many politicians. With our wealth, we can promote them as idols. And people turn to them and, in a sense, worship them, devote themselves to them, model themselves after them, and this is idolatry. We can take money and create movements. This was this guy's name, George Soros. This is what he does. All around the world, he's funding social justice movements and, and in a sense, creating idols of these movements so that people turn from God and devote themselves to these movements. That is idolatry. So idolatry in this context isn't just the actual physical idol made of gold or silver. It's anything that human beings use wealth to create, to get other, other human beings particularly the covenant community, to turn from their God and devote themselves to these, these vain things instead and not rely on their God. He says, for in that day, every man shall cast away his idols of silver 
and his idols of gold. In other words, they realized these, th- these things are not going to help us now. This is, they have no use. We have made a, a big mistake. They will cast away his idols of, idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your own hands have made unto you for a sin. This is your own creation. We can worship technology. Money makes technology, and then we can worship this technology. In fact, we're using these technologies now. Living statues, moving statues that people can worship. This is incredible insanity. So these are actual idols, but they're made of technology, and they speak like a human being and a kind of hologram movements, and, and people are worshiping, and music is playing, and people worship these idols. So this idolatry is not something ancient. In fact, it's very modern. It's very present. It's very, very up-to-date. He says, your own hands made these idols for you for a sin. Then shall the Assyrian, God says, then shall the Assyrian with the sword. Constantly, constantly, we're seeing in this end time, when God strikes, now now these prophecies are dual. There was an immediate application in Isaiah's day. Uh, the the um, northern tribes of, of Ephraim were about to go down to this global power of Assyria very imminently within a decade or two. And then at the same time, Judah was also subject to the terror of this northern uh, tribe or, or powerful global nation of Assyria, this empire. Uh, Judah would also suffer, and this is the prophecy from from Isaiah to say, uh, Assyria is going to destroy you. But then there's going to be relief. So the Assyria will fall with the sword. That happened, and we'll talk about that, but it's also a prophecy of the end time. And when we read in Micah, it becomes crystal clear that at the end time, the Assyrian goes down. The Antichrist is the Assyrian. They're one and the same thing. The Antichrist is the king of the north. And remember, there's two beasts. There's a religious beast, and there's a political beast. The Assyrian is the political beast. Then shall the Assyrian fall with the sword, not of a mighty man. So this is this is amazing. Isaiah's just laying it down. Yes, this is a powerful empire. It's going to crush uh, uh, Ephraim. It's going to crush Judah, it's going to crush Egypt, it's going to crush all these nations. But then the Assyrian is going to fall with the sword, but not of a mighty man. So, so it's not going to be another powerful man that's going to take him down. And the sword, not of a mean man, shall devour him. But he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be discomfited, uh, crushed, and embarrassed, and uh, destroyed. Micah, which we studied during the feast, says this about the Assyrian. And this man, meaning the Messiah, Messiah, shall be the peace. When shall he be the peace? When the Assyrian shall come into our land. So this has not... Assyria, Micah makes it clear that the entry of the Assyrian land is truly an end-time prophecy. And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrian shall come into our land, and when he shall tread in our palaces, then days against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. So there's some, and again, Zechariah 12, we'd have to read with this to see 
that in the end time, when the king of the north is crushing uh, Judah, that God will empower the people of Judah to fight against him supernaturally and to overpower their enemies. But anciently, there was the fulfillment of this partially. And we read of that in 2 Chronicles 32, and I think many of us are familiar with this, with King Hezekiah. He says, and for this cause, Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah the son of Amoz prayed and cried to heaven. So they're at risk. They're facing this imminent threat. And so Hezekiah with Isaiah turned to God and prayed and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel. So the prophecy was, the Assyrian will fall, but not by the sword of man. The Lord sent an angel which cut off all the mighty men of valor. So his young men would be discomfited. And the leaders and captains in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he was coming to the house of his God, they that came forth of his own bowels, his own tribe, his own children, his own descendants, they slew him there with the sword. So this is a, an example then of the primary or the initial application of the prophecy, but it's also pointing to the end time. And as we see the sort of the, the robust language that the prophets use, pointing to what happens just before the millennial reign of Christ. Continuing in Isaiah 31, oh, sorry, let me go back to Isaiah 31. Just to show here, he, he, we, we read this earlier. No, let me see. Yeah, sorry, let's continue in 31. So we finished in 31, uh, 7 and 8, right? So 31, 9. So it goes on. This is the last verse of chapter 31. And he shall pass over to his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of this of the sign. Any, any uh, symbolism of, of the power of Judah, they're going to be terrified of that, says the Lord whose fire is in Zion and his furnace in Jerusalem. So our God is a consuming fire. And that fire is going to emanate from Zion and from Jerusalem. He's coming to protect Zion and Jerusalem. Continuing, so there's no chapter break, continuing the scroll. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. Well, who's the king then? This is, again, by the language we know that this is pointing to the millennial reign of Christ. This is the Messiah. Behold, take a look at this, like pay attention. A king shall reign in righteousness. And listen, and princes shall rule in judgment. Who are these princes that shall rule in judgment? So often we're reading these prophecies and we're wondering, well, well what about us as, as Christians, as first fruits? Where, where are we in this? Because we want to be very precise when we're reading. And, and if we're reading about Judah, it's about Judah. If we're reading about Ephraim, it's about Ephraim. right? And if we're reading about physical human beings, this is about physical human beings. So we need to get that right first. And then we can ask ourselves afterwards, okay, well, where do we fit in the picture? What we shouldn't do is insist that we're everywhere. And whatever we're reading, we just twist it to make sure it's about us all the time, always all the time. Everything centers around us. That's not going to get us anywhere. We need to be able to read the scripture. Just what does the scripture say? What is God saying here? Without me having to make myself a part of it. Once we understand what he's saying, then we can ask, okay, well, where do we fit? 
And brethren, I think it's very clear, we fit right here. That there are going to be princes that rule in judgment. And, and in fact, in um, Revelation 20 and verse 4, those saints, that one minute John saw them being slaughtered, the next minute he sees them sitting on thrones and passing judgment. So Christ is, yes, he's going to be this great king reigning from Zion, but he's going to have princes reigning with him, ruling in judgment. And earlier, last time we were in Isaiah 30, verse 20, we read that though the Lord give you, that's Judah, the bread of adversity, the, he has to do this. This is a covenant faithfulness. You, 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 you've brought this upon yourself. And though he does this, and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. So, so Christ is he's the Lord of hosts. He, he, has, he has army. And he's going to rule, not single-handedly. He's going to have people with him, beings with him, princes and teachers. And so once we, once we understand this whole operation, and we understand the objective, the agenda, and the zeal of the Lord, then we can align with it and understand our part in it. But God is going to pull this off, with or without us. We pray it will be with us, and we understand what he's doing. And we're not, we're not into this uh, replacement theology, where everything that God writes about, what he's going to do with Judah and, what, and with Israel, that we just throw that to the curb and say, yeah, he's done with that. He's, it's really all about us now. Yeah, forget all about that. And what we're saying is God is a liar, or God cannot keep his promises. Rather, it's better for us to understand, no, God means what he says. In fact, he just said it earlier, that he will not turn his word, that, that, that his word is his word, what he says he means. That's what makes him this, the highest of all gods, all these fake gods. They can't do this. They cannot speak the future and then ensure that it happens. That's the God of Israel. That's the true God. To, to declare the end from the beginning, that's the true God. And nobody, nobody can defeat his word. So when God promised doing certain things, he's doing those things. And we say, amen, amen. And we support that. We don't try to replace it. That in a way that makes God a liar. No, we support what God says. And, and over time, we might sound ridiculous today, but over time it will be proven that the word of God is true. And we were right to stand on the word of God. So they'll have princes, they'll have teachers. He says here, continuing in Isaiah 32, And a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind, and a cover from the storm, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. So what does this mean? Today, the leaders of God's people are treacherous. God says, oh, my people, they that rule over you cause you to err. They call evil good and good evil, and they are treacherous. And so the people are oppressed by their own leaders. This is a time when leaders will appear on the scene and they'll be a shelter for the people. 
they, they will have true care and concern for the people. And there'll be a hiding place from any trouble. This is a time that Isaiah is seeing. In fact, in Jeremiah, he sees the same thing. Jeremiah 3 and verse 15, he says, God, or God says through him, and I will give you, Judah, I'll give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. So these leaders today who are treacherous, they don't feed the people with knowledge and understanding. But a time is coming when God to have a hierarchy and he's going to have leaders he's going to princes he's going to have teachers that really care about the people and really want them to succeed and and care about their welfare those people are being trained right now this is why we study this this is why we are first fruits because this is the the, the reality this is the future regardless of the reality that men is trying to bring to pass that, that will fail that's this is the future and god says i'm going to give you pastors according to my heart according to god's heart human beings who are naturally inclined to evil where are you going to find these pastors god that will be according to your heart god says i'm actually making them right now are in the process of conversion right now. And they're becoming more and more like my son every day. Their minds are being conformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they're going to appear on the scene with my agenda and my objectives. And this, this, is, this is what this is all about. So Jeremiah sees the same thing, that they will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's the, the route, the path to peace and prosperity, the knowledge of God and understanding. Ezekiel sees the same thing about the leaders today, and God is going to replace them. In Ezekiel 34, he says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. These leaders of Israel, these shepherds, these, these people who should be looking after my people. God says, I'm like a roaring lion, and I'm going to take on the prey. And you can have all the shepherds in the world mobilized against me. None of them are going to stop. I'm going to destroy them all as well. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, thus says the Lord God unto the shepherds. Imagine this. God is prophesying against his own shepherds. Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. God wants pastors after his own heart who will feed the sheep. But they feed themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed the flocks? I mean, isn't that the very functional role of the shepherds? Should, shouldn't they feed the flocks? Verse 9, Therefore, O you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. That is chilling. I mean, you hear that, you don't need to hear anything else. God is against you as a shepherd? Behold, look at this. I'm against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. So all of the destruction of his flock, he's going to call the shepherds and say, you caused this, and you will pay for it. And I will cause them to cease from feeding the flock. 
They don't want to do it anyway. They're pretending. They're really just feeding themselves. I'm taking them out of this role. Neither will the shepherds feed themselves anymore. For I will deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them. And although this is talking of Judah, this, and I should, I should have checked that, this might be uh, Israel as well, because it certainly speaks of our leaders. It certainly speaks of our leaders. You see how they are just enriching themselves. Through the past 18 months, the amount of millionaires and billionaires that have been created, how, how corporate profits, significant corporations have mushroomed, just ballooned, tripled profits, record years in, in profitability, while people are losing their livelihoods, people are committing suicide because they just have no hope. So the poor are getting poorer and the rich are getting richer. And, and this cycle is going more and more extreme. And then they continue to pass policies that further oppress the poor and further enrich the rich. They're gonna, God says, that's over. They're gonna stop, these leaders are gonna stop feeding themselves. And I'm gonna deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. So this again is going right back to Torah. That when, when, when through all of this tribulation, when his people finally repent deeply, wholeheartedly and sincerely, the curse was to scatter them but the promise is to gather them and bring them back. And so he's going to search them out and bring them back. Back to Isaiah 32, verse 3. And the eyes of them that see shall not be dim, and the ears of them that hear shall hearken. So remember the curse that these people, they would be blinded and they'd be deaf and they would be arrogant until the abomination that makes desolate. And all these of Judah would be destroyed. They would be blind until that happens. And then the repentance would finally be allowed. He says, so the eyes shall not be dim anymore. The ears will finally hear. The heart also of the rash shall understand knowledge. So there's some people today that are just so close to God. Jews, just completely close to God. You try to talk to them about God, and maybe, again, because of the, the cost and the suffering, it actually hardened them. They don't want to hear about God. They're completely atheistic. The heart also of the rash shall understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammerers shall be ready to speak plainly. Remember the curse, Isaiah 6, verse 10. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Well, here Isaiah is showing that they will actually hear with their eyes, hear, hear with their ears, see with their eyes, and their hearts will be humbled, and they will convert and be healed. And somebody's going to give them knowledge at this time. He says they'll, they'll understand knowledge. Well, somebody's going to give them that knowledge. Who? 
Christ says to his disciples, the first fruits, to us by extension, blessed are your eyes. And, and but, meaning in contrast to the general community of the, the covenant, in contrast to them, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Like, blessed is, 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 I don't think we fully understand the, the impact of what Christ is saying. How blessed we are. You, you might be suffering right now. You, you might be in that category of suffering as a result of these policies that are designed to make the poor poorer. You might be suffering from health. You might be suffering from depression. You, who knows all the different ways that this society is set up so that God's people suffer? You may be suffering. But if you understand these truths, Christ says in this sort of like profound differentiation between you and the rest, not, not just the covenant community, but the rest of the whole world, the rest of all human beings created. Blessed are your eyes. Why? Because you see. And blessed are your ears. Why? Because they can hear. And because of that, you're learning, you're going through this conversion process, you're, you're conforming to the mind of Christ, you're conforming to the heart of Christ. So when Christ returns and he wants to put his government in place and put these teachers and princes and leaders in place to comfort and educate his people, blessed are you. Hopefully, me too. Blessed are we. Because we're a part of this agenda. We're going to lead this. That's why we're going through what we're going through today. So we cannot be distracted by all of this chaos and panic because we understand. And we're, we're getting ready for something profound that's really just around the corner. I, I can't say it's like tomorrow, but boy, oh boy, it's close. And it's certainly much closer today than it was yesterday. It's much closer today than the, 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 the prophecies are, are, are the world is unraveling in, in, at a pace where the prophecies are unfolding very, very quickly. Micah, he speaks of these evil people as well. And he says, woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it's in the power of their hand. And they covet fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. These are the people today that this is the description of the people today that are in power. And this, who, this is who God is going to take out and place with us. Back to Isaiah 32, verse 5. The vile person shall be no more called liberal. And the selfish person, the churl, said to be bountiful. That this calling evil good and good evil, this political correctness nonsense, it's going to stop. And we'll just speak truth. For the vile person will speak villainy. That, like, let's just be who you are. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And now, now we can stop being deceived. If somebody puts on a, a nice suit and tie and you know, has fancy rhetoric and we think, oh, they're just so wonderful people. They just, everything they say is so smooth. And yet their heart is filthy. We're not interested. 
Let the vile person speak villainy and his heart will work iniquity. And that's what they're doing to practice hypocrisy and to utter error against the Lord. Their, their agenda is anti-Jerusalem. It's anti-Zion. It's anti the kingdom of God. It's pro-Babylon. And they're uttering error that they're just listening to someone the other day, speaking for God, a politician speaking for God and uttering error against the Lord to make empty the soul of the hungry and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. They're, they're, this is how they are. This is how Micah describes them. Oppressors of their own people. And that's what we're seeing today. The instruments also of the churl are evil. He devises wicked devices to destroy the poor. We just read this in, in Micah. They, they, they spend the night planning, and then in the open daylight, and I covered this in, in Micah too, in the open daylight, they do whatever they want. They do pure evil right in front of our faces. And we can't stop them. And, you know, again, this is Judah, but this is Israel as well. And in fact, if you look at America, much of the leadership in America, it's Jewish. Certainly it's influenced by Jews, very powerful Jews. A lot of Jews came to America after World War I and World War II. And they've risen to very high positions of power. And they have tremendous influence over America. So a lot of these curses that we're reading about Judah, Judah's here in North America, in the West. So they're not just concentrated in one place. And we'll, we'll, as we get into Amos and Hosea, we'll see specific prophecies for the nations of Israel. But they devise wicked devices to destroy the poor with lying words. And we sit there listening to CNN, and I pick on CNN just as emblematic, emblematic of the uh, legacy media, the lying media, the, the extension of the Communist Party. And they have these lying words with this wonderful rhetoric that the foolish follow. And somehow the poor keep getting poorer. The poor keep getting poorer. How is it working out for, for the Black Lives Matter community? Are their lives any better? They, they pushed and raised tens of millions of dollars to make sure that their man gets into office. Has he done anything for them? It's all lying words and oppression. He devises wicked devices to destroy the poor with rhetoric. Even when the needy speaks right. So if people are speaking what's right, they end, they end up in jail, in solitary confinement. And all they did was speak truth. This, this is what's right. No, you can't speak truth. We will destroy you. But the liberal, the true liberal, true generous person, devises liberal things. And by liberal things shall he stand. So eventually all of this deception is over. The evil will be known for who they are. And the generous, the liberal, the godly souls will be known for who we are. In Proverbs, of this uh, proverb in Proverbs eleven twenty four, there, there's one that scatters, and yet he increases. It's almost like defies it, like he's generous, and yet he increases. And there's another one that he withholds more than is appropriate. He, he's holding on to everything for himself. And yet he ends up poor. Why? Because God is working. 
And when he sees that we have a generous spirit and that we bless others, then it's like, wow, the more I bless this individual, the more they bless others. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bless some more. So by blessing others, we open the channel for God to bless us. But another one, he just holds everything back to himself. And God's like, I'm trying to bless others. But whenever I bless this person, it doesn't go any further than, than, than their front door. So you know what? I'm going to turn off the tap. And I'll try to find those vessels that when I bless them, they bless others. And so eventually, all of this is going to come to light. Verse 9. Rise up, you women that are at ease. Hear my voice, you careless daughters. Give ear to my speech. So think of the prophet challenging these very rich women. And, and today we would say women and men. But back in the day, uh, the, 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 the rich women really didn't have to do anything. They could be at ease. But he's challenging them. In, in fact, in earlier in his prophecy in the scroll, in chapter 3, he says, Moreover, verse 16, says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go and making a tinkling with their feet, he promised to curse them, to, to just strip them bare and humiliate them. But these women, they don't understand. So, so what he's saying is, you're doing well now because of the abundant economy. All of this is coming to a climactic, dramatic end. And you're going to suffer. Back to Isaiah 32 and verse 10, he says here, Many days and years shall you be in trouble. So they're living in prosperity. They're living in a very strong economy. Here comes this prophet saying, Depression is coming. Massive economic collapse. Many days and years shall you be troubled, you careless women. For the vintage shall fail the gathering shall not come. In other words, in this agrarian economy, the economy will collapse. Tremble, you women that are at ease. And, and really, when the economy collapses, your military collapses as well. Your ability to defend your people collapses as well. Tremble, you women that are at ease. Be troubled, you careless ones. Strip you and make you bare and gird sackcloth upon your loins. So this prophet can, can see this. He sees it in high definition, and he's warning them. And so there's a period of time where they can repent. And even when this trouble comes upon the land, at least they would be part of the remnant that God has an eye on. But they, they are so immersed in their arrogance, they're not going to listen to the prophet, although he's telling them in, with crystal clarity, this is what's coming. For the teats, for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. In other words, everything's going to dry up. Everything, all of this prosperity, it's all gone. It's all going to dry up. There'll be no uh, breastfeeding. There'll be no harvest. There'll be no wine. Upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and briers. Yes, upon all the houses of joy in the joyous city. So, so they're all celebrating, wonderful, having a wonderful time, a wonderful economy, robust economy, and he's saying it's coming. Because the palaces shall be forsaken, the multitude of the city shall be left, 
The forts and towers shall be for dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit poured upon us from on high. So this is just miraculous and amazing how there's a constant thing. We go back to Torah and we understand Moses. Once we understand Moses, we understand all the prophets. So we can read, some people say, Micah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. They, they think they're confused. They're, 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 this is confusing writing. One minute they're saying the worst things, the next minute they're saying the best things. What, what is this? This is Moses. The purpose of this suffering is to drive the people to repentance. Once they, once they repent, truly repent, God moves in to redeem them. And so all of this destruction that he just prophesied of, he then sees the outcome of it. But all of this will happen until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. When will that happen? When the abomination that makes desolate has it, does its work. Once the abomination, this tribulation has done its work, then the, until the, that's when the Spirit will be poured upon us from on high. Who's us? It's Judah. So the Spirit will, and, and again, if you read Zechariah 12, we'll see that there as well. And certainly we're going to read it in Joel. The Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. So God is going to turn the whole thing around. Joel says, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. This all flesh does not mean the whole world. This all flesh doesn't mean every pagan that is cursed God and has the mark of the beast is suddenly going to have the Holy Spirit. This all flesh means all Jewish flesh. That, that unless those days were shortened, all flesh would be destroyed. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. That all flesh is Jewish flesh. The whole theme of, of Matthew 23 and 24 is what's going on with Judah and specifically Jerusalem and the hatred that's going to come upon them. And yet God is going to act, and then he says he's going to pour out his spirit upon all Jews. And your sons and your daughters, who, whose sons and whose daughters? Pagans? Gentiles? No. People who've taken the mark of the beast and worshipped the beast? No. Jews, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Now, Peter thought that that's what was happening, that this was being fulfilled, on Pentecost in the first century, but in fact, that was just an early indication of what it's going to be like when this is actually truly fulfilled. Back to Isaiah 32. Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness. <laughs> Finally, we're going to have some godliness in, in the whole promised area, promised land. Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness and righteousness remain in the, in the fruitful field. Finally, when we've, when we've dealt with this evil that's in the leadership particularly of these people, when God comes and acts and deals with it, finally, we have judgment and we have righteousness. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. The Psalms speak of the abundance of peace. This, this um, feast that we just celebrated, the Feast of Tabernacles, is pointing to this time of the abundance of peace. But that comes from the work of righteousness. The work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Forever. 
This, this is why Christ says, don't be deceived. Everybody's going to believe that I've forsaken Judah. And they're going to have this agenda to completely surround Jerusalem and destroy it and remove the Jews and they're God forsaken. No, I'm going to come and I'm going to save them. I'm going to restore them. And they're going to have quietness and assurance forever. In Luke 1, he says that he will be the God of Jacob forever. That must mean that Jacob is forever. So God says he's going to bring Israel and Judah back to one stick, and he's going to be their God forever. So they're going to have quietness and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting place. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the victory. My people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. When it shall hail, coming down on the forest, and the city shall be low in a low place. What does this mean? <clears throat> so the forest really representing the, the wild rebellion against God, that's going to be put down by these supernatural forces. He'll use the power of nature, in fact, uh, supernaturally, to bring down the forest. And, to, and, and, and the, the, the rebellious city shall be laid low. Uh, here in Micah 1.3, he says, For behold, the Lord comes forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. This is God coming down and acting and bringing all of the rebellion down. He says here, Isaiah 33 and ends with, Blessed are you that sow beside all waters, that send forth there the feet of the ox and the donkey. So this is just pointing to this time of blessedness when God has finally acted, put down all rebellion. And Micah, I think, says it well in Micah 4.4 4, when he says, But they, they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree and none shall make them afraid. Why? For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken this. This is what God has spoken. And so once we understand the whole counsel of God's word, then we can understand his agenda, we can understand his objective, we can understand how he's going to pull it off, and we can understand our part in all of this. So let's be faithful to the word of God, and let's understand his, his mission, his purpose, his objective, and, and how he's going to pull this off and our role in it. And then no matter what happens around us, we can just be these people who are like pillars, who are immovable, who everybody's in a sort of panic, not a sort of, they're in a full, they go from sort of panic to full panic mode. And yet we're calm, we're cool and we're collected. Because we're established in the truth. So, th so the more we understand God's word, his truth, what he is saying, what he is doing, the more we can understand what's going on around us is all temporary. It's all a stepping stone. And so rather than panic, we should be reassuring each other. And this is, again, why it's so important that we have each other and that we forsake not the assembly of ourselves together. Because he, the, the, these um, qualities of cowardice and courage they're both contagious so if, if everybody you're around is cowardly eventually that's going to rub off on you but if everyone you're around 
or you take time to be around those that are peering into the word of God and gaining strength and faith and courage and vision from the word of God, that's going to rub off on you. And you're going to rub off on, on, on them. And we're going to iron sharpens iron. And as the world around us gets darker and more chaotic, we will be brighter and stronger and more earnestly peering forward and looking and hastening the return of our Lord. Our Lord is a mighty warrior, a mighty king, and he's coming to save his people. Us, the first fruits, but Judah and Israel, and to establish his kingdom on the earth. And that's what we look forward to. Thanks for joining today. God willing, we'll see you next week as we continue in Isaiah 33. God bless. Our God is a mighty God. Amen.